Greetings, everyone. I'm so glad you're here today joining me on Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I'm Sue Van Rays, your host, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, and founder of Boulder Nutrition. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. You can find out more about me at bouldernutrition.com. My inspiration with Satiate is to offer you functional nutrition, food psychology, and well being insights, to share with you case studies and stories that can act as salve for your soul, to share with you some of my most favorite special guests and experts from all over the country and to offer you an opportunity to satiate your body, mind, heart, and soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful to have you head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That will help me get the podcast out into the world to the listeners who need it most. Before we dive into today's very inspiring episode, I want to take a moment to introduce our special guest, Sadie Radinsky. Sadie is a writer, a recipe creator, and freshman at UC Berkeley. Since age 12, she has touched the lives of girls and women worldwide with her award-winning website, wholegirl.com, where she shares paleo treat recipes and advice for living an empowered life. She has appeared in national media outlets and other platforms, including the New York Times, Rachel Ray, E Daily Pop, ABC TV, Paleo, Shape, Cherry Bomb, and the Mind Body Green platform, to name just a few. Whole Girl, Live Vibrantly, Love Your Entire Self, and Make Friends with Food, published by Sounds True is her first and brand new book. For more about her and her recipes and inspiring blogs, visit wholegirl.com. And be sure to follow her on Instagram at Sadie Radinsky, where she is constantly sharing tutorials and videos of how to make her delicious, healthy, and satiating recipes. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you, and I hope you enjoy. Sadie, thank you so much for joining me on Satiate today. It's such a great opportunity to meet you in person or through Zoom and, um, and, and hear about your story and your new book. I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much for having me. And just the name of your podcast makes me so excited to be on because it's perfect. I love it <laughs> and everything it stands for. Thank you. So you came out with a new book, Whole Girl, Live Vibrantly, Love Your Entire Self and Make Friends with Food. It has a lot about your story in there that I love and a lot of great aspects around health, but not just around food, also around integrative health and emotional health and physical health and all these other aspects. So I am so excited to hear how and what inspired you to get a handle on your health at such a young age. My family's always been really into food. It's always been a huge part of our lives. Um, like every, every night we sit down for a home cooked family meal, like every single night. Um, like a lot of us started doing during the pandemic, but like we, we rarely would even go out or like miss a meal or something. So it's always super food centered. Um, which I'm really lucky I was able to have that. Um, and so food has always been an amazing source of connection and joy in my life. But when I was nine, I suddenly started getting health issues. It was like stomach aches and fatigue. Um, and I went to all different sorts of doctors across the spectrum, Western, Eastern, every sort of doctor, and nobody knew what was wrong. Um, and around that time, there started to be a lot of, um, stuff coming about, out about like gluten and grains and the role they play in our diet and just in general, the roles that food plays on our health. So 
as sort of a, as a last resort, my mom was like, we got to try going gluten-free and see if that helps you. So I went gluten-free when I was nine. Um, I'd already missed like half a year of school at that point. So it was really like, we got to do something because none of these doctors have any clue. Like I did the weird, I went to the weirdest doctors, the most normal doctors, everyone. And like, nobody knew what was wrong. So anyway, I tried going gluten-free, um, and it took a couple months, but after, like maybe two or three months of being completely off gluten, my symptoms just went away. And I actually started to feel even better than I was before, uh, before I got sick. So I was pretty amazed the, the role that food could play in the way I felt because I'd always sort of taken my good health for granted, um, and taken food for granted and not really thought about the connection. And so it was, it was great feeling good, but all of a sudden I, you know, couldn't have like my favorite foods, which has always been pastries and baked goods and desserts. So, um, cause they just didn't really exist gluten-free back then. Like this was like 10 years ago. So it wasn't as available as it is now. And thank God, because that's how I started baking and cooking. Mm. And if it was available at stores, I don't know that that would have happened. So, yeah. um, necessity was the mother of invention. So I started inventing all these recipes and cooking gluten-free and, um, it was incredible. It gave me this massive passion and and goal in life to like share these recipes. And so I started my blog at 12. Um, it was called goodies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was called goodies against the grain. So grain free (laughs) against the grain treats. Now it's called whole girl. I've sort of transitioned it into being not just about food, but also about overall well-being and self-love and empowerment for young women, um, which has sort of grown into this book. I wrote whole girl and, um, but yeah, that's, that's how it all began was, was some stomach aches and look what it's become. So I'm actually pretty grateful that that happened. (laughs) So interesting when these challenges can lead us to something that we would have never imagined, like this other aspect of ourselves that has come about in such a beautiful way to share with other people and, you know, starting with something that really wasn't working for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such an amazing lesson in listening to my body. Like that, that is basically the entire crux of, of whole girl is listening to our bodies, listening to our gut, which I know is something you're really passionate about too. And that manifests in the book through the different chapters, which all are a different mood. So there's be bossy, be mad, be blue, teaching us to embrace our moods. But I think it's also through the the food and the, the, the talking about food I do in the book, talking about, you know, how to make friends with food and also in the recipes. It's, I think it's all one and the same, right? It's listening to our bodies, listening to our gut and, and checking in with ourselves. And I think that I got a lot of that from this experience I had with my body. I was like, something's not agreeing with me. And so it sort of forced me into learning at a, at a pretty young age, um, the power of listening to our bodies and, and how, when we get in touch with ourselves and feel what's going on, not only with our, you know, physical health, like if we're intolerant to something like I was, but just like in any situation, getting in touch with ourselves and checking in with how we're feeling. That's so empowering to do. I mean, it just, it changes everything. And I think that as, as young women, we're, we're really not taught to listen to our gut or to our bodies at all. My mom and I are always talking about this because she's the one who, who always taught me to listen to my body. And we're like, wow, like girls are literally taught ignore our bodies are saying to us, um, in favor of, you know, what society tells us we should be doing, you know? So I think that that sort of, that sort of lesson of like getting in touch with ourselves is, is so impactful in all different areas of our lives. Absolutely. In some of my workshops and retreats, I teach embodied living and embodied eating. And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. exactly what you're talking about. It's like, can we embody ourselves, feel the sensations of our body, learn what they mean, start to work with them in a way that promotes greater health and vitality. And with our eating, you know, 
can we follow our hunger and fullness cues? Can we tell yeah. when we eat something that doesn't feel good? Can we feel into the sensations of how different food um, brings us different kinds of energy throughout the day or yeah. can accentuate different aspects of ourselves and use it therapeutically that way? And, you know, I'm sure having both the stomach issues that you started with and then the supportive sort of guidance of your mom and all of the things you learned about living in your body and listening to your body. That to me is the most priceless thing we could yes. focused on. I mean, no matter oh, what it is about, it's just, it is the most important piece of living fully, I think. And I'm you're so, so right. You're so right. Yeah. And it really does. I think a lot of our issues with food as young women come from that societal idea that what our instincts, what our gut, what our body is telling us doesn't matter. And I think that we use food, you know, as a form of control because we are trying to put our emotions somewhere. We're trying to deal with all of these feelings we're feeling and we're taught not to feel them. So mm -hmm. we have to put that somewhere. And I think it often manifests in food. And you're so right that, that using food as this healing is this amazing moment of joy in our lives. Um, that is so tied in with listening to our bodies. And when we can listen to our hunger cues, to our cravings, I think that we deny ourselves our cravings a lot because we, you know, we think we should feel ashamed or guilty about it. I think that that's, that's so tied together. And what I noticed is that throughout my sort of tween and, and teen years is that listening to my body is such a daily practice. It's like, I mess up all the time. I override my instincts and I feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, why did I do that? You know, you have those moments where you're like, I didn't listen to myself when I should have. And it's just a constant learning process. I, I tell the story in the chapter, the first chapter, be loving of the book where I was in a yoga class when I was, I think it was like 16 or 15 and with a new teacher at this new studio. And this, this teacher was this very experienced, um, guy. And he was like, kept forcing my body into all these really uncomfortable positions. And I kept saying to him that hurts, please stop. And he was like, no, you're just inflexible. You need to change. And he came over like three times and I was actually in pain. And I said, no, and he wasn't listening to my no, but, um, my body was screaming no at me. And my body was like, this isn't a safe situation. You need to leave. Cause he doesn't care how you feel. And yoga's <laughs> all about listening to your body or it's supposed to be. So I got up and I left the class. And as I was making the long walk of shame to the back of the door, um, he was like, see you later. And the whole class turned around all of these adults. I was the only kid in the class and they all started laughing and snickering at me. And I was so embarrassed, but I left. And the second I got outside, I just like Oh, I just let out this big exhale and I felt like so amazing. I felt like strong and empowered. And it was the, I realized it was the first time that I really like listened to my instincts, even though it went against what the figure of authority said I should be doing. And that was such an amazing learning moment. I've been trying to get in touch with that feeling again, ever since like really, truly tuning in with our bodies. Um, and that, again, that, you know, fits in with food. Like, what am I craving right now? What do I need? Um, this, you know, person might be telling me to count my calories and lower my BMI or whatever it is, like all of these rules that society creates for us around food, but what am I actually feeling? And that's not something we're taught as young women. We have to learn it completely on our own, which is very tricky, you know? It's so tricky. And even just to go back to your story about the yoga class, not honoring your female intuition, mm -hmm. honoring your voice and what a horrible yet yeah. rewarding experience, right? Like horrible in the sense yeah. that yeah. it's just like, you're not supposed oh, to yeah. be having this experience in a yoga class. Cause it's your, this yoga is there to give us some right. <laughs> solace, right? And yet here you yeah. are, yeah. you know, but you overcame and you made the choice and you took care of yourself and man, I think there's people out there that are go listening to this that are like, wow, I want to do that. Like, I want to listen to myself. Yes. I want to trust myself. And I know for me, it's a lifelong process. And the, every time I override myself 
it, I usually, it gets worse and worse because I think my awareness around it is higher and higher. And it just feels horrible. Those moments where we don't listen. And I just completely, so and much we get like those for actually listening to yourself. That's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. It was really, it was really, really hard. And we also get shame around it when we don't listen to ourselves. I don't know if you ever feel that, but it's like, Oh, I wish I would have. It's like, no, no, no. There's no shame or guilt about like, it's such a practice, but yeah, like you said, I think a lot of people have similar things. And I was so lucky that it was just like this totally benign situation where I wasn't really in danger. Obviously there's situations when we are in like actual, like a lot of danger, um, and don't know how to deal with like, like, I don't know how to deal with it. I think we're just like not taught like, um, because we're so taught to like make other people comfortable and please them. Um, and I think that that I've written a little blog post about this on my site called stop telling girls, you're so pretty. And I think that that really starts from like the age, like of when we're babies, because this is something my mom always pointed out to me when I was little. She's like, see, everyone is like, you're so cute. You're so pretty. I love your little dress. Um, but we don't say that to boys. We only say that to girls and we make it about our, about compliments about our appearance from the age of two or even younger. So we're taught in response to say, thank you. Moms say, tell, tell the old man, thank you. You know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you for the compliment. So I think that like that sort of sets us up for overriding our instincts throughout our lives, because if some, you know, male old figure of authority yoga teacher is, is telling us to do something doesn't feel right. Um, we're sort of conditioned to trust them more than we should trust ourselves, like to trust their instincts and say, thank you. If someone makes a comment about our body, that's unsolicited, we're taught like to basically defer to the other, like (laughs) rather than trusting ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I know that it seems like a far, maybe far-fetched to say that that starts when we're babies, but I think it really does. You know, it's that. And, and when I posted, I, I posted on social media after I left um, the yoga studio, I posted a series of Instagram stories explaining what happened. And I have never gotten so many responses in my life. I got like hundreds of women, young women, old women email or messaging me and saying that they had a similar situation before even yoga class and not left because they thought that, Oh, the teacher knows better, or I shouldn't make people, I shouldn't make people uncomfortable. I shouldn't leave the class because it will disrupt the other students. Um, and I never gotten such a big response. I was like, okay, this is a really big issue that just like, we're not really taught to question, you know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of taught that that's normal, that it's normal to get an unsolicited comment and say, thank you, that it's normal to defer to someone else's opinion about your body rather than your own. And we're not really taught to ever question that, which is crazy. It is crazy. And I, I just want to like, kind of circle back to that and say that I think that most of us, myself included, come from a long lineage of people pleasers, most women, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know I see it in my mom. I see it in my grandmothers. I see it in generations back. I see it in my clients. I see it in so many women of so many ages where our fear of disappointing someone else is greater than our fear of disappointing ourselves. Oh my God, completely. It it is just so ingrained. And when it comes up for me, at almost 50, I am still sometimes challenged, you know, and I've been working on this for at least two decades consciously. Um, So, you know, this is a message that the world needs to hear so, so desperately. And, um, you know, sovereignty in a sense, you know, uh, Mm. a podcast I did years ago called become the queen of your queendom. And what you're saying is so aligned with that. It's like, if we're in charge of what we need and how we feel and how we respond to those needs and sensations and feelings, and we can take ownership of it, it changes things rather than thinking that we have to act a certain way, look a certain way, perform a certain way, or simply just eat on a very static eating plan. Exactly. Doesn't have any room for listening to our bodies. And it's, 
you know, and calorie counting is kind of the epitome of that, but there's still yeah. even trendy eating styles that can be so limiting and make us feel guilty if we don't follow them by, you know, a hundred percent. And yeah, it's, you know, the, this whole conversation is just, I think one of the biggest epidemics of our time, especially, mm-hmm. and especially, yeah, it, women. yeah. yeah, yes. And, but young women, but also, yeah, it really does stick with you your whole life. Like it, it starts young and then, and yeah, it's amazing. You mentioned how it's all connected because I think it really, really is. It connects with food, with the way we treat our bodies, with exercise, really with, I think all different facets of our lives. It's that sort of idea that like, even if we're getting this, like raging cry from our body, like do this. So like, this is, this doesn't feel right. We're taught to override that. And it's funny that that, that situation happened in yoga class, because I actually think yoga has really helped me get in touch with what my body wants because I, (laughs) I, my normal class is this amazing teacher in Topanga named Sybil, who, um, I feature in the chapter be wild of the book about her, her past as a supermodel and rock star, but also, um, who helped me design all the mindful movements for the book. And what she taught me was that yoga is a yoga is just the practice of breathing and pouring breath into every part of our body and using that, um, to get present with our body. And she's a huge advocate for using all these props to make every single position, comfortable where you can breathe fully and be fully present in it. And what that taught me was actually really impactful. I learned how to like make these minute adjustments in each position so that my body was like perfectly positioned to put breath into the pose and to listen to myself. And that's the opposite from what that teacher dude wanted me only male yoga teacher ever had. <laughs> I don't want to say all male yoga teachers are bad, but it's funny though, but I've had that with other, with female teachers to that sort of like, forget your body. This is the asana that you're doing today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Power flow through it, get that sweat on whatever, um, which I guess has its place, but I like my teachers format much better, which is listen to your body and make those adjustments. And like, she says, even like you can ignore the postures I'm giving you. This is just an option. (laughs) She's like, do what feels good for you. And I've been practicing that sort of yoga. I've been doing it for like her classes for six or seven years now. And I think that is one of the most like powerful ways that I've learned to listen to my body Mm -hmm. because another way we're sort of learned to divorce ourselves from our, our gut and our emotions is through our, our physical body, you know, that, that whether it's through the dieting, the calorie counting or, um, pushing our body really hard to like get in our cardio or so, I don't know what, whether it's like, we're constantly taught to sort of like override our, our bodies and that pushes us to control things in other ways or whatever. So it's been really cool to use movement as a way to actually get in touch with my body rather than punish it. And that's what yoga has given me. So that's why I put mindful movements, um, for all the different moods in the book, because I think movement is actually such a wonder. It's been so like turned into a form of punishment by, I feel like our Western culture, but, but it really is also such a powerful way to become present which makes us present with our emotions and our, our state of mind and our, and our bodies. So I think that, you know, yoga can often be used as, as that form of restriction for ourselves and rigidity, but I think in, in such a different way, we can use it. We can use it to get in touch with our bodies and and really listen and listen. And then when we're in uncomfortable situations, we already have that connection pretty well established and it's easier to tune into how we're feeling. Absolutely. In fact, many years ago, when I started working a lot with more food psychology clients, um, lots of women struggling with their relationship to food and their body, I started yeah. recommending, cause I'm a yoga teacher as well. I don't know if you knew that, but, um, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's been a life, like lifelong practice for me in so many ways as well. Um, but when I started working with my clients who were struggling around food and body image, and suggesting and even teaching or bringing them on my retreats where I combine the two aspects more fully, I noticed that that was one of the missing pieces for healing was that embodied movement 
that gave them the opportunity and me, it gave, gave all of us the opportunity to drop in, be present, feel what was going on, give ourselves an outlet and a space to actually feel it that felt safe. And those women healed so much quicker wow. through whatever disordered eating pattern they were going through than, yeah. the, than the clients who did not incorporate an embodiment type practice like that. Wow. So I well, okay. So you know more you know more about that than I do. Then I'm like sitting over here talking about you've actually taught that. That's amazing. Oh yeah. No, you don't know. I mean, no, we, we all come with our own experience, of course, and yours is so valuable. So I'm, yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we're both talking the same language and it's, it's great. Yeah. And it's just another affirmation yeah. on both sides for me and for you that we can like agree that yes, this really does impact how we relate to ourselves. And there's yeah. other types of yeah. embodied movement. Like some people aren't drawn to oh, yoga. Yeah. I always am reminding my clients, it doesn't have to be yoga. It could be embodiment of some kind, movement of some kind, dance. It could be just bringing presence to your morning hike um, mm-hmm. in a certain way. But there is some pretty potent lineage within the yoga philosophy and the yoga yeah. principles that are so important and so valuable. So yeah, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I know- yeah. There's all different forms. Like for me also running does it running's more of a challenge. I have to like be careful with myself that I'm not beating myself up the whole time. Like, Oh, you're going too slow. You're so winded. What's wrong with you? You're so out of practice. And I lately have been getting better at, at becoming present. Like I was running yesterday. I started getting stressed out and I literally was like, stop and smell the flowers. And I like smelled the Jasmine as I ran by and I got present with my body and it was so amazing. So it's certain forms are a little bit trickier to become present in and be kind with ourselves in, but that's all, you know, all the more practice. Absolutely. And also something I wanted to mention when you're talking about embodied movement is I've started doing a lot of breath work. I don't know if you've heard of like neurodynamic breath work. It's mm-hmm. sort of, yeah, it's sort of like holotropic breath work. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you go into a sort of altered state, but, um, and I bet, you know, all forms of breath work are great too, but I was, I, I, whenever I finish it, I'm like, Oh, I really want to share this with, with teen girls. I feel like middle and high school age girls, because it's all about, um, feeling your emotions and you actually use the emotions as a gateway, um, into dropping in, you know, into, um, the real benefits of the breath work come from using, they say like, use your emotions. If you get really angry, let out a yell. If you feel sad, start let yourself cry. And it's this amazing form of expression. And I think that what it gives you, and this is what they say, and it's also what I felt is what you get at the end is total self-acceptance. And I think that that is so hard to achieve as a young woman in today's society, self-acceptance, like it's practically impossible. And I think that actually breath work is a very, potent way to get that. I don't think it's that easy to get it just like in our everyday world. I think that it almost takes that, like dropping in and doing the breathing, um, and the music that they have going in all of that, um, to fully get to that state. And, and it's interesting to me that the way you get there, the way you get those benefits and that self-acceptance is, is through the emotions. I think that that's not, a, that's not a coincidence. That's why, you know, I think the moods are really, a really powerful way, whether we're breathing or not, you know, in breath work or not, but the moods are a powerful way to modality of, of getting in touch with ourselves and accepting ourselves as we are, you know, it's not stifling how we're feeling. It's like connecting with it and, and fully embracing it. Absolutely. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. So I am also excited to talk to you about some of your, um, baking and some of your recipes and some of the ways that you were able to teach yourself how to basically create these amazing, these amazing, um, you know, dishes and favorite desserts and things like that. It seems like you really love, um, to make, to bake. And I'm just, you know, tell us a little bit about the journey of figuring this out. It's like, wow, you know, figuring out how to substitute and make these um, traditional kind of recipes become healthy and satiating and 
also healing for your body. Satiating. It's like my favorite word. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, sometimes I'm like, it's satiating. Cause I, at first I thought that that's how you actually say it. <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, they named this word after me. And then I was like, no, um, you need my, a hashtag my of that. Satiating. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I started, I started by just like, when I went gluten-free, I was like, okay, I need to start baking, learning how to bake gluten-free because I, I literally can't go without like cookies and brownies and like that, my birthday cake, like I need all this stuff. Um, so I Googled just like gluten-free cookies. And the first recipe that popped up was Ilana's pantry. I actually think she's from Colorado too, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 No better. Um, it was like Ilana's pantry paleo cookies. So I wasn't even looking for like grain-free, but I, that's just what popped up. It was made with almond flour. So I started baking a bunch of her, I made every recipe on her site. Um, they weren't that many paleo blogs, like baking blogs back then. So I'm sure I, I started baking from the few that there were. And then I sort of, for like three years, I was just baking everyone's recipes and I started making my own. And then, you know, cause there, there weren't that many. So I was like, I ran out of recipes to make. I was like, I need to expand. So I started making my own and just sort of like playing around. Like once I had the basics, I like the basic formulas of the ratio of almond to flour to coconut flour to eggs to coconut oil. I started making my own and experimenting. And that was where the real fun started happening. Because I think that like, just at least for me, just getting in the kitchen and just like kind of going wild and experimenting with different flavors and textures and ingredients. That's just like very exciting. It's almost like making a painting or something, but with almond flour. (laughs) So that was great. Um, and then in the summer after sixth grade, I was like, I have my, literally my like manila folder. Ooh, I actually have it right there. Um, my folder recipes that I made was like literally bursting. I was like, I got to write these down somewhere. I want to share them with other people. So I started my blog in the summer. Um, and my mom took all the photos and still does. And, it was just super fun. It was just an amazing form of expression. And, um, and it was also cool because a lot of other people in my life at that point were going gluten-free, like all of weirdly a lot, like everyone was like a young woman. I don't know if you've seen a connection. My family and I are trying to find a scientific connection because it's uncanny how many young women we know have gone gluten-free to solve their health issues. Um, and we haven't seen the same thing with males or even older women it's all been like young women like all of my first cousins were female all of my friends um it was just it was crazy like everyone was going gluten-free to solve various issues from like skin problems Mm -hmm. to migraines to like hormonal stuff like everyone so I was like I've got to share these recipes so that's when I started my blog and um and ever since it's it's been it's been really cool to sort of see it grow and to see, like, to get messages that like, it's helping people and it's helping get them into food or their kids have allergies and their kids are getting to bake now and enjoy desserts again, whatever it is. It's just, it's cool to see it, it have an impact this way. And yeah. (laughs) One thing that I, one thing that I notice and one thing that I practice in my business with people with almost any, you know, problem that's going on in their body chronically is food allergy testing and how impactful that can be. And of course, gluten is right up there with some of the heavy hitters. And um, yeah, but not only gluten, I mean, I've just had a lot of clients with grain sensitivities and sugar sensitivities and blood sugar sensitivities. And one thing I wanted to ask you about that I was so psyched about with your recipes is that the sweeteners are just awesome. (laughs) And you really have... (laughs) been able to, you know, get not only paleo and the grains and kind of, or grain free and the alternative flours and the higher protein and fat. And I see that you're promoting like eating good fats and eating higher protein in your baking. And, but tell me about the sweeteners. Cause that's, you know, that's very um, advanced in a lot of ways. And it definitely helps in my experience, people feel so much better when their blood sugar is stable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, that too, and you mentioned the grains and like, I didn't mention it before because it's usually complicates the story, but I actually started getting stomach aches again when I was in seventh grade. So like three years later. And at this point I'd already had my blog for like a year and 
my grain-free, all my recipes were grain-free, but I wasn't eating fully grain-free. I was still having a lot of gluten-free pasta and bread and stuff. And at that point I knew enough about nutrition. I was like, okay, I don't even need to go to doctors. This time. I don't need to waste my time this time. I know that my stomach aches are from grains. So I went off grains completely, even rice and corn and oats. And that took my pain away and I haven't had stomach aches since. So I actually did. I think a lot of people have that same journey where they go gluten-free and then it works for a little while, but then they realize that grains are also causing issues. So I definitely think grain-free was a huge step for me. And now oddly I can have gluten-free grains in like minimal amounts. I'm okay. But I think that was a big, that was a big thing because a lot of times when we go gluten-free, we immediately transition into all the packaged gluten-free products, which are not good for you. <laughs> right. Like, right. you know, the, the Udi's like gluten-free waffles or whatever, like a lot of them are just like pure sugar. So that the grains was a big thing. And also, like you mentioned the sugar, I think a lot of, a lot of gluten-free cookie recipes call for the same old two cups of sugar that the regular ones do. And I'm like, that's not even healthier for you. So a big thing for me was making them low sugar. And that is something that my, my family continues to remark on every day when I bake something It's like, Oh my God, these are, I love how minimally sweet these are. And because they're not that sweet, more flavor comes through. They actually taste better than the original. Cause it's not just safely sweet. It doesn't leave you feeling gross. Um, so I think that them being low sugar is huge. And the type of sweeteners I use is I use, um, if I, if there's any sugar in it, it's usually like a little bit of coconut sugar or maple syrup, just cause I like the flavor. I know that it's some people argue it's not better than regular sugar. Um, but I like the flavor of it better than regular sugar. So if I'm making a batch of cookies, I usually use like a quarter cup of sugar of like coconut sugar or whatever. And that is, that is an eighth of what is in a normal batch of cookies. So that's and has a lower glycemic index Definitely. and lower, right. Coconut yeah. sugar has lower glycemic yeah, index, sure. which is something right. That's some sort of Absolutely. benefit. I wouldn't argue like some people are like, what has magnesium and vitamin B? And I'm like, you're not, you're not getting vitamins from your coconut sugar. (laughs) The low low glycemic is good. Um, And I just love that it's not as sweet. And now when we go to have regular, regular desserts, like ice cream or something, we're like, oh my God, this is way too sweet because our taste buds have adapted. Another thing I've started in more recent years is using monk fruit. I think that mm-hmm. making stuff entirely sugar-free that, that feels even better. Um, it's hard to do for some things like cookies, like certain, like I use Locanto. It's like, I think it's a blend of erythritol and monk fruit, and that doesn't lend itself to certain desserts, but other ones it's really great for. Um, like, so it's not a one-to-one substitute, but I, I like playing around with it. And a lot of the recipes in my book are completely sugar-free, um, using monk fruit. And that's, it's just so much fun. I love doing something different. And I love that. Like, it's still not a super, like it's, it's not a super popular territory, like making things grain-free and sugar-free. So it's, it's fun to sort of try this new frontier of, of baking for sure. Absolutely. And monk fruit's like got such a pleasant flavor. It doesn't have anything strong in yeah. the taste and it's definitely like blood sugar diabetic safe like very yeah that way and I'm a big supporter of that myself and it's only been a couple of years that I've been using monk fruit as well and same yeah I've had yeah it didn't couple- even exist before yeah. it wasn't even like a thing yeah I know on a couple of my retreats we've given desserts with monk fruit people have no idea Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like keto friendly and paleo friendly, yeah. all these things. And people are like, how is this, you know, keto friendly? I know. <laughs> it's amazing how, how amazing yeah. it can turn out and how you can't even yeah. tell. Yeah. And I'm curious Especially. your thoughts on this because I, I see a lot of sort of rhetoric online in my social media of the people I follow, but of sort of like negativity towards recreating desserts and making them say gluten-free and sugar-free. There's a lot of sort of like ideology of don't recreate this and you don't need to make it healthy. Just eat the real thing. Just enjoy Mm -hmm. it. And I think that that's, I don't fully agree with that because I think that it's actually been really impactful for a lot of people who can't have regular food to, to recreate them. And I think that it's, it's not 
about depriving yourself and restricting yourself. It's about opening up this whole other world of these healthy, delicious treats that are, that make your body feel good. Yeah. And I think it's really the negative. (laughs) No, I don't either. And I do think that, you know, we do hear a lot of times people like normalizing eating, normalizing, you know, the experience Mm -hmm. of, you know, just being able to eat freely. And I don't know if those people have ever been sick in the way that, that you have, or that many of my clients have. And, you know, even I've had some digestive issues in my, in my life as well. And, you know, when you realize that this indulgence is going to leave you feeling bad, it doesn't really feel like an indulgence anymore. It doesn't feel like pleasure anymore. I remember watching my youngest son, he got get, he got handed an ice cream cone from Ben and Jerry's when we were walking down Pearl street mall in Boulder doing this Halloween, you know, thing where they give you all the candies and the stores give you all these treats. And, and my older son is allergic to dairy and they handed him, he was like five or six, they handed him an ice cream cone and he was kind of like excited for a second. And then he looked at me and he goes, this is going to make me feel sick. And he oh my threw God, it in the it. garbage can. <laughs> I didn't say a word. And I was just like, thank God this kid is getting it. He doesn't want to stop That's amazing. It. Yeah. And so yeah. And we know when we start associating and our awareness of what food does for us is actually tangible, then yeah, yeah maybe it's not worth it. I can't, I can't do it. I get a, I'm hypoglycemic. Yeah. So I, I get a migraine, yeah. right? Like, you know, wow. a muffin from Starbucks for breakfast. Like I'll, yeah. I'll be in bed the rest of the day. Cause I can't function. And so for me, I'm afraid of doing that. Like, yeah, I can have a bite yeah. of something sometimes if I've had other food alongside of it, but on its own, it throws me way off for at least a couple of days. And wow, that's so I've had clients that are the same way where even just getting any gluten in contamination can throw them into like a spiral of downward, you know, just feeling horrible for days at a time. And so when we start to really notice that connection, I I just think, you know, that is the informer of our choices, not feeling like totally. And, you know, I, I, I indulge here and there in certain ways, but I just want to say eating healthy, and I'm sure you can vouch for this eating healthy and taking care of ourselves is not lacking pleasure. Yes. That's, that's it right there. That's it. That's it. I think that that's a missing piece in a lot of conversations is like, you're not being restrictive or I've even gotten, like, I wrote this article for the New York times about, um, about baking is it's called baking is a mindful break, 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 (laughs) baking is a mindful break from zoom school. And I sort of wrote about my journey with food, um, and how baking these healthy treats has given me, not only all this health and it's taught me how to nourish myself and love myself, but also the mental benefits of baking. And it was amazing. That was like the pinnacle of my life. That was so cool. And I got a lot of comments from people on the New York times that were like, sounds like this girl has an eating disorder. Like, why is she promoting this and stuff? And I was like, you guys don't get it. Like, it's not, it's not disordered eating or restrictive eating to make foods that are healthy, you know? And I know that the word healthy is highly complicated and misused all the time and means different things to different people. To me, that just means literally stuff that my body likes that makes me feel good. And for me, that happens to be grain-free and low sugar or whatever. But there were a lot of people who seem to think that caring about what you put in your body means that you have an eating disorder. And not only is that so minimizing to eating disorders and just misinformed, but it also creates the idea that like, you can't care about what you put in your body. And I think that's, I think that's mistaken. I think there's a difference between caring what you put in your body and having stress around or like guilt around food. Um, I think that those are different. And it's interesting that you, as you know, as a nutritionist, as a food psychologist work with people who have psychological issues around food and also, um, intolerances Mm -hmm. and, it's, it's, it's just interesting to me. I think it's, it's a really interesting conversation, um, that we tend to sort of chalk up to like, I don't know that it's almost negative to care about what you put in your body. Um, which hasn't been the, hasn't been the case for me. And I know that's different for different people though. Of course. I mean, everyone has their own way, but I do want to just say 
for me, eating healthy food that tastes good and makes me feel good. That is my, that is my passion. That is what I want for people. It doesn't have to look like how it looks for me. It doesn't have to look a certain way, but it has to look their way. Just like mine has to look my way and yours has to look your way. Exactly. And then it's just self-care. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Self-love it's self-care and it's learning to be more and more tuned into what we need and what we want and what makes us feel our best. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, but I love that. I'm going to guess that we probably agree on the fact that feeling our best is pretty important. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and it's yes, really and it's, hard to do our work in the world, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. When we're not feeling good. And yes, you and exactly. I both know what that's like. So, so I, yeah, and it's an important it. message that it, it looks different for everyone. But I think what a lot of people assume is that like eating, you know, eating in a way that makes your body feel good means you have to just eat like iceberg lettuce salad every day or something. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you can have cake. Like <laughs> that's what I want to do with my, if there's anything my recipes can do, it's just make people feel like, oh my God, I can treat my body in a way with like nourishment and love that makes it feel great. And also like my mind and my spirit can feel great because I'm eating this food. That's delicious. And it aligns with your soul, you know, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't go a day without dessert ever. And (laughs) I feel amazing because of what I'm eating, but like, it's not like you eat a salad and are healthy or, you know, eat the foods that you crave and are unhealthy. It's like, no, you can get in touch with your body, eat those foods you crave and make them in a way that, that makes you feel good. Hallelujah, girl. That's the message right there. I mean, that's really it. And it's, it's, uh, that's where our power is, you know, Mm -hmm. I, so I am completely behind your mission and, and it's a complicated world. That's why people come to see me because yeah. people are so, oh, it's so complicated, confused, confused. So confused. Yes. yes. Because we are being sent so many different messages every single day about what we should and shouldn't be eating. We're never taught to listen to ourselves <laughs> at all, of course, <laughs> yeah. but, but yes, you're right. Confusion is like, oh my God, it's so confusing. The food world is made to be like scary and shame filled and like, I feel like it's intentionally confusing, you know? Yeah. So no wonder, I mean, going to you must be, must be life-changing for people. You know? Oh, thank you. I just feel like my work in the world is, is my passion. And that right there is huge. So, you know, helping people in whatever way I can, but so many people. Yeah. Food. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's a practice and it takes us some time to figure out our path around it. But once we can get a little bit of momentum and kind of some consistency, it can be life changing to change what we're eating and how we're eating and to change how we're responding to just being human, you know, how we're responding to our feelings, how we're responding to our challenges, all of that in in my books is, you know, integrative health. So absolutely. Um, Tell us a little bit about like, what it's like for you. You have this very robust social media following. You have your book in the world. Last week I saw you on Rachel Ray, which was fairly <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and I'm just like, so impressed that you're holding all of this. How old are you? 19? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing that you've built this huge platform for yourself, but tell me what it's like. Do you feel, um, like you can keep up with it all and still be a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. I just made a big decision about my next step to take something big off my plate that I was going to be doing this next year. And it feels amazing because I was realizing I was like piling too much on. And I, I really want to like, I'm going, I'm moving to college for my sophomore year um, in, in the fall. And I realized I need to like, like live a bit and have more of a social life and stuff because I have, historically not been that good at that. Cause I've been like writing the book and making cookies or whatever. So, um, <laughs> I I'm excited to sort of learn how to, <laughs> how to be more social and be out in the world. Um, so no, I haven't been good at that good at balancing it. I don't think, I don't think it's easy. Um, but it's, it's a work in progress and I'm excited yeah. to grow in this way for sure. Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're doing that for yourself and giving yourself some space because there's a lot, I'm sure Thank you, you yeah. can experience <laughs> as a college student that 
is also very important in your growth and healing and living. So good for you. I'm so happy for you. I am so excited to make some of your recipes. And one of the ones I want to make is, I don't think it's in your book, but it's those macadamia white chocolate cookies. Yeah. I actually went to buy the white chocolate and I couldn't find the Lily's white chocolate at the store I was at. They had Lily's everything else, but, um, I use Lily's all the time. So I need to go get the white chocolate and I really want to make that bread recipe in here as well, because I need some good bread recipes to, uh, yes, that craving famous craving, the famous bread it's made with cashews, eggs, and like apple cider vinegar and you literally put it in the blender and then bake it and it's magical. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, those are some ones that I want to make this week. So I'll send you the pics, but tell me what's, what's your favorite one. There's so many amazing recipes in here and they're, the photos are amazing. So <laughs> your mom. Yeah. Kelly Radinsky shout out. Um, totally. yeah, the, the, um, my favorite recipe is the luscious lemon bars, which is I chose to make those on Rachel Ray because they said, what's your favorite recipe? And I was like, lemon bars. Um, so those are, they took me about 16 tries to get the recipe right They're Sugar-free, um, nut-free made with coconut flour. Um, and they're so good. You have to make those. They're probably the most involved recipe in the book. So maybe not if someone's a, a new baker, maybe that's not the best one to start with, um, but they're really, really good. So that's, yeah. that's my okay. favorite. I'm definitely going to add those to my list and um, have some fun in here because as you have experienced, sometimes we need a little inspiration from yes. the outside world. And uh, this is inspiring me a ton. So I am just ecstatic that we got to meet and mm-hmm. connect. And I feel like we could really talk for a really long time. <laughs> so yes, I, know I know that it's so much fun to chat with you and to, you know, just kind of compare notes and talk about food this way and all the other things that you bring to this conversation are so relevant. So I just want to say thank you so much for for being here on the Satiate podcast with me. And I can't wait to share this with my listeners and I'll be sure to send you a copy. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Satiate. Sending you my wholehearted wish for your health and happiness. And I will see you back here 